All right. Good morning. This morning we're going to be turning to Deuteronomy chapter 33 and 34 if you want to get there. This is Moses' final blessing on the people. Last week we had the song that he wrote to give them their... Yes? August 6th, that's right. That's good. I'll remember. I'll get her a card or something. All right. August 26th uh, is our baptism. We're going to be having out at Mazingo. That'll be after the second service around 2 o'clock. So if you want to get baptized or haven't been baptized, uh, that'll be a good time to do that. Let me know. Uh, We have one already, so we're going forward with it. But August 26th is our next baptism. Moses' final blessing on Israel before the Lord takes him home uh, to be with him uh, is one that's generic in sense. It's all for the nation of Israel, but he breaks it down into, into the tribes here. He talks about how great God is and so on. And what I, what I want you to pay attention to, I guess, is as we go through this, it is a generic blessing for the nation of Israel, being of Jacob, you know, one man, but it's his family, but they're pretty big now. He also breaks it down into individuals, and, and God has that same blessing for us. As Christians, we have uh, an overall blessing, obviously, of being with Christ and, and, and serving with Him and being alongside of Him and being His hands and feet and all the things that go along with worshiping Jesus. Um, kind of standard, it goes without saying kind of thing. You can, you can do, uh, I mean, you don't have to pray about everything. It's written down for you. Certain things are, are, are standing orders for a Christian. Uh, but on the other hand, there's some specifics that God has for us all. Um, individuals. Um, yes, you're a Christian, but also I, I'm J.D. the Christian, and he's got specific things for me to do, good works for me to walk in. And so there are blessings not only for the group, Christians, but also for the individual believer. So in verse 1, now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. The beginning starts with how many times God's spoken to them and from where. He's everywhere is the idea. It's not that this mountain or that mountain is more holy than any other, although they're pretty special places because He did manifest Himself physically at those locations. But He's always tried to teach them, I'm the God of the hills and the God of the valley. I'm the God of the desert, the God of the sea. I am God. Okay, There's no location for me. I'm everywhere. And that was supposed to be comforting. You don't have to worry about pleasing all the little gods in your life. You please the one true God. And He takes care of all of it. He never leaves you or forsakes you. There's no place you can hide from Him, which is also comforting. Even in your sin, that's a comforting thought. Nothing secret. Um, A lot of people, most people, spend their lives concealing their sin from everybody around them. They don't want them to know. Um, It's embarrassing to know that you're a failure in certain areas. But with God... There's no easy way to put this. He already knows we're failures. None of that surprises Him. And yet He still smiles upon us and His face shines upon us and loves us with an everlasting love, understands us from where we are, and from what we were made. He says that several times. We're but dust. I breathed into you. He takes full credit for everything. 
And He brings us to that place of obedience. That's, that's the goal. That's God's desire for us. And so He starts off with He's the God of Sinai. He's the God of Seir and God of Paran. He's everywhere. And He came with 10,000 of His saints. Now a lot of this stuff should ring a bell as if you've read the New Testament. 10,000 of His saints. Hey, hey. We know that Jesus is going to return with His saints and so on. So He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Saints are disbelievers. Saints are followers. Saints are His. He came with 10,000 of His saints. From His right hand came the fiery law for them. And it is fiery. Burns us every time. There's no good way to put it. No easy way to put it. No better way to put it. It burns us. But also purifies us. It's by the law that we know that we need a Savior. It's by the law that we know that we need um, the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ. And so although it burns away all that which is evil, it shows us all the things that are wrong in our lives. It also points us to our way to God through Jesus. He gives them three things. Besides that, he says, I love the people. And he always has. There is no Old Testament God and a New Testament God. A lot of people divide them up. And, and, and when they don't study the Old Testament, they miss out on understanding that he's always the same. There's a group just that are new covenant believers. They don't believe in the Old Testament has anything to do with us. And actually, it absolutely does. The volume of the book is written of me, Jesus says. It's all about Christ. It's all pointing us to him. It's the complete story. It's like picking up a novel and, picking up and starting at, at, at the page 432 and going on from there. You miss a lot of the backstory. And so this tells us that. I love you, he says. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints, and this is for us then, are in your hand. That's encouraging. And they sit down at your feet. That's encouraging. And everyone receives your words. And the first two are kind of automatic. I'm in his hand. You know, the second one, I'm at your feet. Kind of hard to get away from God's feet. The earth is my footstool. That's where we live. You know. But receives your words. Not, not everybody does. We're supposed to. It's a decision we make to receive or reject God's Word. And every time I open the Bible, I have a decision to make. Am I going to receive it or accept it? And there's such a blessing when you receive God's Word as opposed to reject it. There's so much to be gained from receiving God's Word. And the saints who are loved by God, who are in His hand and at His feet, those people that understand that about Him, His size, I was looking at a... a, a computer model this morning of the solar system and how it rotates and, and uh, the universe and how it spins and, and everything that goes on and the, and the helic movement. And it's, I was just looking at all these amazing uh, pictures, you know, of, of what we can kind of tell um, how, how everything rotates and, 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 and leap year. I know that it doesn't make much of a difference, but it just made God really, really big is my, is my point. And, uh, us really, really small, you know. Uh, uh, when you understand that about the Lord, when you understand that I'm in His hand, that's a big hand, you know. And when you understand you're at His feet, that's a really big God. And, and it's then much easier once you have that concept and understanding of Him to receive His Word. How could you reject it? He's big. I mean, you we don't... I hate to go to that place where you really don't have an option. He's God. You don't have any other choices. There's no door number two. There's no plan B. I hate for everybody to say, well, by default, I have to love God. That's really not what He wants from us. 
But when you get to that place of, okay, I'm not so sure about you, God, I'm going to read about you, and you begin to understand who he is, and you develop this understanding of him as he reveals himself to you, that you're in his hand and you're at his feet, all of a sudden receiving his word is easy. And you easily see the benefits of it. Verse 4, Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. It is a heritage. They were very pleased to have the law of God. I mean, they were, they were given the law of God, and then they were responsible to give it to the world. It was an exciting responsibility. And he was king of Jeshurun. Remember, that's a poetic word for Israel. He's the king of them. Jesus is our king. When the leader of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel uh, uh, together, um, the idea behind naming him king ahead of time is because later on in kings, they're going to ask for a king. They're tired of being led by uh, in a theocracy where God rules and he's there and, and, and you follow him and, and you do what he wants. They want a king like everybody else. And so he's already said, I'm your king. And so now we get to the the problem with that request for a king like everybody else, you're truly saying, although you didn't say it out loud, I reject you as my king, I want a new king. As Christians, we can fall into that place at times in our hearts. Um, it seems to peak, and then you get into a valley and it seems to peak. There's, there's moments where you feel, I, I, I serve no other God king but Jesus and you're excited about that and as you proclaim that you feel the feedback from the rest of the world and the pressures that they give you and it gets to be a little daunting at times a little heavy at times it's like okay <laughs> this warrior's been in the battle for a long time it'd be kind of nice to just disappear into the crowd for a little bit let someone else take the heat remember Tavia from uh, um, Fiddler on the Roof and he says I know we're the chosen people but it would be nice if you chose somebody else once in a while because they felt such pressure as they were persecuted. Of course, he didn't mean what he said. He loved God. He just was at that moment feeling down. And there are times when there's like, you know, I'd kind of like to just be like everybody else for a while and not be known as whatever. And that's a fault. That's a misunderstanding. It's at those times we need to dive into God's Word even more, into prayer even more, fellowship even more. And realize there is no better place. Because obviously, the reason it ebbs and flows and goes up and down, peaks and valleys, is because you, once you get into that place or have ever tried to become anything other than an absolute spirit-filled, God-loving man or woman of God, and you fall back into the world, you realize how quickly you want to get back out of that world situation again. Because it is ugly there. It looks green, but it's quicksand. And so God tells them, he, it was the king when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Now he goes into specifics, not just to the nation of Israel, but to each tribe, some short, some long. And Reuben, live, and now, and not die, uh, nor let his men be few. Um, now the word nor there is italicized. You see that there? That means it's not there in the original. So let's read that again. Let Reuben live and not die. Let his men be few. It's a big change. Sometimes those italics don't really help. Now, the writers or the interpreters say, well, certainly he doesn't mean he wants them to be small in number. He wants them to multiply because every blessing like that's always multiplication. So let's put nor or not or depending on your translation. Well, be careful because actually Reuben goes on to be one of the smaller tribes for their existence. 
so the blessing comes to pass as originally written. Let Reuben live and not die. Let his men be few. In other words, he doesn't mean to be giant with many, many people. Just a small group. One of the smaller groups. And this he said of Judah. Moves on to the next brother, or son I should say, of Israel. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. I hope that he doesn't need to have a lot of help from other people. You know, I, w- I want him to be able to be self-sufficient. Let his hands be sufficient. I'm okay as I am. I don't need, uh, I don't need any allegiances or alliances with anybody else. I can, I can do this. Um, I hope that's the way it is for them. That's his prayer for them. And that if he does need help, his help comes from God against his enemies. And Levi, he said. Levi is the Levitical tribe. So it's a little bit longer as he discusses their uh, ruling, so to speak, over them. Let your Thummim and your Urim be with you, or be with your Holy One, um, whom you tested at, at Massa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Mirabah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he, did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. These are the spiritual leaders. Urim and the Thummim being that black and white stone. They would ask questions of God and reach in and pull out the black or the white um, stone as a yes or a no. Sometimes also the lights of perfection that were on the priest's uh, breastplate there. All the different colored stones of each tribe they'd light up apparently. Or at least by looking at it they could tell what the answer was. This is the tribe, this is not the tribe, so on. I pray that that's always with your Holy One. Pray that He always gives you the answers when you're praying to Him. I don't have an urim in the thummim. I don't have a breastplate. You know, I don't have a magic eight ball. You know, kind of thing that I consult with. But I do pray that every time I pray, that I really, I really hear from God, and not myself, because you can come up with your own answers sometimes. So that blessing that Moses is trying to bestow upon Levi or does bestow upon Levi, I, I pray that for myself. I pray that I would always be in your hand and I would always understand what you're saying, God. They shall teach Jacob your judgments. So they're the teachers. And Israel, your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. So may he be your protector also. Of Benjamin, he said, the the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. It's interesting. It depends on how you capitalize these letters. If you capitalize in, in, in the he, and diminished, or lowercase, the his, at, that, at the end of, ch- of verse 12, it does tend to change things a little bit. If you look in your, uh, in your maps in the back, it shows you how the tribes are all divided up, and you see that Benjamin's kind of shaped like shoulders, and you see Jerusalem right there in the center. You know, So if you switch those things around, it could be like that. Maybe. really doesn't matter, but just a small, uh, just a little trivia. Anyway, Benjamin's just, you know, there's not a lot to him. I, I pray that his location, Moses would say, is right between shoulders. And so if it is the way it's written, um, with, the, with the capitalization, the emphasis in the right place, then the lamb is the one that's resting upon the shoulders of God. You know, how they would, the shepherds would carry lambs like this. That's where I want Benjamin, right there, you know. And boy, um, who doesn't want to be right there? 
Um, I, I get concerned about the people that like to see how far away from God they can get and still be within earshot or eye sh- or sight, you know, um, riding the edge of walking with God. Uh, still saved, but able to, uh, what they consider, enjoy the world as much as they possibly can or indulge in it. Um, I want to be right there. I'd rather be just sitting on his shoulders, basically. Joseph, blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven and the dew and the deep lying beneath, and the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, um, meaning the burning bush he's talking about. Uh, Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separated from his brothers. His glory is like a firstborn bull, and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them he shall push the peoples to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim. They are the thousands of Manasseh. Remember, those are his two sons. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, And oftentimes when the blessing would come, Joseph would get a double blessing because he wouldn't get it, but uh, whoever would bless the two sons, and therefore Joseph gets the double blessing is the idea. So he brings that up here. Ten thousands of Ephraim, the ten thousands of Manasseh. Um, a special place for him. It seems to me he's talking about agriculture a lot. Uh, whatever comes from the mountains, whatever comes from the, the fruit of the sun and so on. Um, you know, some, some ag issues there. Maybe some cattle and, and so on, some ranching. Um, bless him with those uh, blessings that just come from the guy that works outdoors. You know, uh, the guy that works with his hands on a farm. And this is a short one. And of Zebulun, he said, rejoice, Zebulun. And you're going out. I don't know where he's going, but that's all he says to him. No, no insight. I, if I was Zebulun, I'd be like, um, where, are we, where are we going? You know, kind of thing. Nope. Either way, wherever they're going, whatever isn't there, here's what he does want them to have. I want you to have joy and to rejoice. And I want wherever you go, you're going out, which is anywhere because he's not specific. I want it to be a blessing. I want it to be a joy. Wherever you go. As I think of my kids and the different personalities they all have, I can see why he's saying this stuff. Zebulun, I can never keep you around. I never know where you're at. You know, I'm, I'm always crying out, Zebulun, where are you at dinner? Where are you? You know, that kind of kid. Oh, wherever you are, I hope you're blessed. I hope you're not in some hole someplace, you know, or whatever. I hope you're okay. And some of us who've had a lot of kids, you, you get one of those kids in the bunch. They're just always outside or they're always in a tree or they're always digging someplace, you know. That's kind of Zebulun. And you think about these kids. They're all, they're all individual. They're all part of the family. But Judah's different. Levi's different. Joseph's different. Benjamin, he's just, I just want to keep him close. I don't know if he's the favorite or not, but he's just been babied his whole life because he's the baby, you know. Um, but nobody apologizes for it. You know, you're going to spoil that Benjamin. No, no, no. No, I, just, I hope he always dwells on my shoulders. I don't, I don't care about that, you know. Um, I don't care about getting him out from off me. You need to be more like Zebulun and get out there and go. So he doesn't change the blessing to get them to do. He blesses them the way they are with their characteristics. That's how God sees us as Christians. There's a lot of things, you know, that at times I wish I was or wish I were. You know, I look out and I see different people doing different things. I'm like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could, you know, I wish I was more like that. Or less like this, you know, however you want to put it. There are times, and you got to get over that as a Christian. 
I mean, God is conforming us into His image. Don't make any mistake about that. He does want to change us and transform us. He doesn't want, well, that's just how God made me. Yeah, but that's kind of creepy. You need to move, you know, you're going to change that. Um, you can't do that. That's sin. But when it comes to your individual personality, some people are quiet. Some people are artistic. I try to be artistic, but it looks like I'm trying to be artistic. You know what I mean? Some people are artistic, and they just kind of are. And everything they do, you're like, that's really, that looked dumb when you started, but it really works the way you finish that. And I try to do that. You know, I try to make dumb things look good, and they just end up looking dumb at the end. It just doesn't work. Um, color coordination, I don't know how Anna pulls colors together. I don't understand it. Those two colors, if I looked on a spectrum, I would have never picked those two colors to put in that room. Never in a million years. And then you do it, and you're like, oh, that's absolutely perfect. You know? You ever go to those paint swatch places, and you look at it, and you're like, that's genius. I mean, that's genius. It's homogenized for everybody, but somebody came up with those color schemes. And I'm looking at that color thing, and I'm going, I think, can I get yellow? <laughs> Describe yellow. Do you mean butter, chiffon, dandelion? I'm like, I don't know, just yellow, you know? Some people get it. And that's great. And other people don't. But mechanically, I got things going on in my mind that I can see. And I try to explain to my family. I'm like, no, don't you understand? Like, if everything in the universe is moving and all spinning in all sorts of different directions, it doesn't matter what's going on where. If you just grabbed it, if you were outside of it and grabbed a hold of the earth and stopped it in motion, don't you know everything else would start spinning around it? And if you stopped Venus, everything would start spinning around it. It just depends on your perspective. And they're looking at me going, what are you talking about? I'm like, I can just see it in my head. Everybody's different. And God knows that, and He loves that about you, you know? He loves that. And so He gives all these guys these specific blessings. Now, He moves on to Issachar. And Issachar, in your tents, they shall call the people to the mountains. There they shall offer sacrifices for righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas and of treasures hidden in the sand. Um, a lot of people make more of that than it is. They think, oh, there's oil in the sands of wherever Issachar landed, and so they dug for oil. I, they really weren't thinking of oil back then. They are thinking of olive oil more than likely when they speak of oil. But, oh, dig away. Who knows? Maybe there's some oil under there. And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. Uh, he dwells as a lion and tears the arm of the crown, tears, tears, I'm sorry, and tears the arm and the crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself because the lawgiver's portion was reserved there. He came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments uh, with Israel. And of Dan. So those are kind of like the police. He administers justice. He's got strength. You know, it's kind of like we enforce righteousness kind of thing. Um, that was Gad's job. And of Dan. Ever have that kid? The Gad kid? That's not correct. That's not how you're supposed to do it. I've, I've got a couple of those. Um, you know, it doesn't really say that, Dad. Um, you know, uh, that, that light was awfully pink when you went through it, Dad. You know, shut up, kid. <laughs> you know, it's bright yellow. Remember the swatches? It's yellow. Um, they're just, they're like that. They're just very, mm, mm, mm. We, this is how it's done. And Dan, Dan is a lion's whelp, and he shall leap from Bashan. I don't know if he's got a temper, or if he's just strong, or he's the first one in the fight if anybody needs help. Let's, let's give him the grace that he needs and say that's what it is. This guy, he's just ready. And of Naphtali, 
he said, of Naphtali, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possesses the west and the south. Um, that's it. Asher. Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Uh, your sandals shall be iron and bronze as your days, so shall your strength be. You'll be as strong as long as you live. It's exciting. You know, there's always going to be strength in you. Now he moves away from the tribes and he says this, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, that's Israel, who rides the heavens to help you. Always a helper. He's always a helper. Even in the New Testament, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as our helper. It's the Spirit of God that comes into our lives to be our helper. He's no different than he was in the Old Testament, who rides the heavens to help you. He's literally looking for opportunities to help us, wanting us to succeed, wanting us to do well, not willing that we should fail or, or fall away from him or be distant from him. He's always looking for opportunities for reconciliation first, that we might love him in return as he loves us, but also to help us in our incidents, in our difficulties, in our sin, whatever it may be, he's there to help. And in his excellency on the clouds, he's just majestic. The eternal God is your refuge. He's a place to hide. He's a place to go to. Not to hide from the world, but to be protected in it. He's a place of refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He's always cradled us. He's always got a hold of us. Something comforting about that. Every time we sing worship, eventually we get to a song where Bo decides to move from mom over to me and he gets in a little ball there and puts his head there and he wants me to just do this to his hair. To just do that. Now, I'm not trying to make us all turn into infants this morning as it we're in God's arms, but there is something comforting about knowing this and Moses wants them to know this, that God's arms are underneath us and they're there for us. He's always got us. He's always cradling us. Even in your worst day and worst condition. You know, there's moments like that where Bo's fine. He's just sleepy and kind of lazy and wants to get stroked. And that's fine. I can do that. I can rub his hair. But there's also times when he's absolutely sick, not feeling well. And it's so comforting. Somehow that's better than any Motrin or ibuprofen you can give your kids is to be there and to just to stroke their back or to rub their arm or to help them through the fever, just to be there with them is, is better. And that's our God. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone in, the, in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. It's very victorious. Moses is excited that they finally reached Jordan. They're going to go into the promised land. He knows what's before them. He knows the battles are going to rage. And so he, he's giving them this. Don't forget who he is. He's the one that wants to help you. He's also your refuge. He's the one who saved you out of Egypt. He's not going to let you go. He's going to keep saving you. That's what he does. He's your shield when you're going to need him, and he's also a sword when you need him. He's, the, he's everything. And your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. In other words, that's what we ought to be doing. Sometimes we defeat our enemies, and we let those high places stand. It's, it's hard to teach that sometimes, but as you can see, there's a whole bunch of people on the earth at this time, a lot. And he's decided that anybody that's his God, that he gets to be their God, in other words, 
Anybody that comes against these people, they're destroyed. Now these are supposedly children of God also, which is what the world wants us to think. All people are children of God. No, they're really not. We're adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. That's his family. Now the rest, God desires for them. They're his creation for sure. He desires them to be his children. But he says several times in there, your father is of the devil. And I'm your father. There's a distinction there. And so when he describes this, I'm going to wipe out your enemies and destroy them. You've got to understand what he's doing. These are people that he wanted to be his, but they've decided to follow a different father, to go after Satan, to do what he chooses, just like even Adam did. And God had to pull them back out of his clutches too. And so when he describes that to these people, I'm your savior from who? From Satan and those following him. I'm your shield from who? From Satan and those following him. I'm your sword for who? From Satan and those who follow him. When you're done, he says, when they submit to you, tread down their high places. That's what victory is. Not, Not humiliating them, but tread down what they relied on. The high places is where they would worship these other gods. I don't want to boast when my God wins or my argument wins. That isn't the point. When we win, because we win with God, make sure we tread down those high places that those folks are trusting in. It's important for them to see that. Your gods are nothing. He he had to do that for them. In fact, he's going to have to do it for the nation of Israel. We just studied that last week. They're going to fall after other gods. In other words, demons they are going to worship Satan. And God's going to have to diminish them to the place where they're destroyed, but not completely, not utterly, remember. And he pulls them back to himself, but he tramples those high places. Those gods did nothing for you. Please remember that. Now, we're going to finish 34, and then we'll be in Joshua next week. This is just a short blurb on how Moses died. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. You don't get to go over there, but you get to see it. It's a big deal for Moses. As he stands on top of the mountain and he looks as far as he can see, all on the horizon there, it's all all of it. That's all it. Now, here's the thing. There's boundaries, though, aren't there? He didn't let him go all the way as far as he could see, only to the horizon. That's important to understand. Those are your boundaries. This is where you are. Beyond the horizon isn't yours. But at the horizon is yours. And so he looked, and that's your space, all the way to the Western Sea, and all the way this way, and all the way that way. That's all yours. Um, And that's basically a legal obligation there. That's how they used to do it. How far can you see? Right there. That's your boundary then. And you'd set up posts. (laughs) That's it. I mean, big posts. Obviously, we're talking uh, a big area, but... That's it. That's as far as you can see, and that's, that's, that's your boundaries. That's where you go. Now, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. You see that? 
Who buried him? God buried him. Capital H. God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this, to this day. Nobody really knows. We know what side of the Jordan he's on, but he's kind of. <laughs> Israel still thinks he's on their side of the land. Jordanians think he's on their side. Um, still an argument. They both have little sepulchers up that say that this is where Moses is buried, so they kind of argue about that. But um, Nobody knows. There's a reason for that. There's a reason God did that. We don't know the reason, but I speculate. So this is all me. It has nothing to do with the Bible, so you can throw it out. But we know that from uh, um, Jude, uh, verse 9, that Satan, um, the devil, and Michael, the archangel, um, they fight. There was some kind of argument over the body of Moses. And we see there that Moses, or uh, uh, Gabriel, or Mike, sorry, Michael won by saying, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. It's just a little story. The story is more about uh, that you don't bring a reviling accusation against Satan. Even Michael the archangel said the Lord rebuke you when they disputed about the body of Moses. Of course, I pick up on why did they dispute about the body of Moses. Yeah, okay, we won't, we, won't call Satan, we won't stomp Satan under our feet. We know that Jesus does that. We can't do that. Um, but what's with, this Moses? what's with the body of Moses? Why did they hide it? But a couple things could be. We see that in Matthew 17 that a part of the transfiguration that he sees Moses transfigured up there with Elijah. Both bodies taken away. Okay? Um, we also see in Revelation 11 that there's these two witnesses. Moses is going to be one of them, we believe, possibly. And maybe, maybe Elijah, who knows who the other witness is going to be. Um, and Anyway, there's a reason for it. Um, a side note, what if they did know where it was? What do we always do? We always worship those things. This is Moses. We've got to crawl. The last hundred yards, you've got to crawl to Moses' sepulcher. You can't walk there. This is holy ground. That's just a guy. I mean, he's a very chosen guy, <laughs> very much used by God, but it's just, a, it's just a tomb, just a burial place. We'd dig up his bones and we'd embed them in the altars or we'd try to sell them for $39.95 on eBay or on Amazon or something like that. That's what we do. Something about relics that just intrigue us and we think they're so valuable. You know, there have been people trying to sell pieces of the cross. You know, you can buy pieces of splinters of the cross, the actual cross of Jesus Christ. No, you can't. They say if you'd put all the splinters together that were ever sold, it'd be like the, the size of like a, you know, like a huge giant building or whatever they've said. There's so many splinters that have been sold. It's not. Well, it's just, it's just miraculous multiplication. No, you're just a scam artist is what you are. The pole that they put up in the wilderness with the serpent on top, the bronze serpent. It says anybody that looks upon the bronze serpent will be healed. Remember the story. They had done some sin, and God had sent serpents in to bite the people. And they said, please help us, save us. And he gave them this, this is the plan. I'm going to put the, soul, the, the pole and the serpent, and anybody that looks at the serpent gets healed. And they did. And, of course, Jesus uses that in, in John and explains to him, I'm that. I'm the one. You, you lift, lift me high and lift it up on the cross. This is all symbolic of me on the cross. Anybody that looks to Christ gets saved. From their, from their sin. And some people believed and looked at the serpent and got healed, and some people didn't believe and didn't look at the serpent and didn't get healed. Anyway, that serpent became an issue. Later on, they have to find the serpent because it became a relic, and they worshipped it. They worshipped the stake. Until finally they ground it up into powder, got rid of the thing. Can't be doing that. So God buries this body. Besides all that, it's just a really intimate moment where Moses and God, you know, 
It was a tough thing, I imagine. Not for God, but it was a tough thing for Moses for sure to lead these people for 40 years in the wilderness and say, you can't go into the promised land because you misrepresented me to the people. You're going to die here on this side, but I'll bury you. you know? And he's probably going to use him later on, but I'll bury you. So it was, it was one of those moments. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, didn't need glasses nor his natural vigor diminished, which is interesting, which means he still had the same strength he had. Remember earlier we said, Moses said, I can't go in and I can't go out anymore. And I inferred at that time, well, you know, he's lost his, he's old, he can't do it. Probably not the case. I was probably wrong on that. Probably meant that God won't let him go in or out anymore. I'm not leading anymore. It's Joshua that's going to lead now. It kind of changes things as you go through Scripture and you pick up on stuff. Wait a minute. His natural vigor never diminished at the age of 120. That means he could have gone in and out, but God said, I'm going to use Joshua now. So hopefully I clarified that. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hand on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. What a great section. Joshua's full of the Spirit. Everybody followed him and heeded him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. It was amazing. That, that is the only two reasons that people don't go to the promised land. They don't go to the promised land because of unbelief or they misrepresent God. Those are the only two things that stopped people from going in. The nation of Israel wouldn't go in. They just didn't believe God, so they didn't go in, and they didn't get to have the promised land. And the second thing is, Moses misrepresented God, and he wasn't allowed to go in. So things I've got to be careful of. As I, as I, hopefully, have crossed over the Jordan, filled with the Spirit, and doing battle for God, and a servant of the Lord on the promised land, that's what I want to be, and I believe I am. We've got to be careful. If you've been baptized... August 26th is coming up. That's that Red Sea moment for you. But you come up to the Jordan where you're now not just saved, but you want to have a conquering, victorious life, and you're going to go over filled with the Spirit. You've got to first believe that God does that. Unbelief keeps you from having that victorious life in the Spirit. Read Acts chapter, uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. That victorious life in the Spirit where I, I no longer do the things that I don't want to do and I no longer uh, not do the things I do want to do. I'm in the Spirit. I'm actually fulfilling God's plan for my life. That comes from belief that God wants to indwell you with His Holy Spirit and give you victory over your sin. And the second thing, obviously, is misrepresentation. Don't misrepresent God. He is a loving, gracious, merciful God. Justice is His. He's perfect and holy at the same time, and yet he knows that about himself and found a way for us to get to heaven through his son's righteousness, not our own. Represent him correctly. And then we'll finish up here. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. So even though Joshua was great, and everybody did what he was supposed to do by following him, um, Moses was better. Whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And we believe Joshua wrote that last part, finished it for him. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as we get into Joshua next week, Lord, as we just continue our march from Moses and moving over to the new leader, Joshua, um, Lord, help us to take all these things to heart. His, 
Moses' epitaph on his tombstone was he was a servant of the Lord. God, we desire to be that. We want that on our tombstone. I don't want to be known for anything other than that. I want to be known to be the servant of the Lord. And the servant serves at the pleasure of his master. Not at his pleasure. That, that's a volunteer. Someone who says, I'll serve you this time and this way and how and all that. That's, that's fine. But that's a volunteer. God, I want to be a servant of yours. There are no boundaries. There are no uh, stipulations to my service to you. I serve you at your pleasure, whenever and wherever, God. Lord, that's our heart. We want to be like Moses, someone who sees you face to face. It's called your friend, Lord. We want that. We desire that. And so God, help us to see that in our lives with belief and with representing you correctly in this world, Lord. Filled with your spirit, always considering that you can come back at any time and return for your people. There's nothing left hindering you. There are no prophecies left to be fulfilled for you to return and bring us home to you. Um, so Lord, help us to live that way this week and next week and the week after or until you come, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.